Solar Cycle 25 is slowly warming up, so over the next few years, we'll see the high bands improving and the lower bands won't be quite as strong. But as long as sunspots remain rare, these years of quiet solar activity are really the heydays for 160 meters. That's 1.8 megahertz, which we fondly also call top band. You'll have a ton of fun enjoying good DX through the night if you're out on top band. If you're keen to see what you can work, this episode is for you. It's good to be back on the air at Zone Zero after a long hiatus. My name is Bud, VA7ST, and while I haven't posted a lot of new content over the last 24 months, I've sure been super busy on the air, as usual. Zone Zero isn't a how-to treatment because I'm no expert in anything. Rather, it's more of a radio operator's diary, specifically a contester's diary. I want to share with you the kinds of experiences and the information that I would have found really valuable and enjoyable back when I was starting out as a young contester. And I know that even well-seasoned old dogs like me pick up the odd tip here and there. So this is for new and experienced radio contesters. There's a lot to talk about, but let's start with the most important stuff the upcoming contest calendar. One of the big 160-meter contests of the year is coming up in late January, uh, at the end of this week, in fact. And in the Northern Hemisphere, that means nights are still long, with many hours of darkness to really give Top Band a good workout. The CQ 160-meter contest starts at 2200 UTC on January 29th, and it runs through to 2200 UTC on January 31st, 2021. So let's look at the contest specs. The objective is to work as many U.S. states and Canadian provinces and DXCC and worked-all Europe countries as you can. Single operators are limited to 30 hours during the 48-hour contest, and when you take your off times, they have to be at least 30 minutes in duration. But finding 18 hours of off time isn't much of a hardship in this one because 160 meters is generally a nighttime band and contacts are going to be kind of scarce during the daylight hours anyway, so get your sleep. Get rested during the daytime and be back on the air in the hours of darkness. The exchange is pretty easy. If you're in the U.S., you send a signal report, and that's typically 599 in a CW contest, and then you add your state. In Canada, you'd send your signal report and your province, and everyone else would send a signal report and a CQ zone. Now keep in mind that your CQ zone is different from your ITU zone, which is often used in ARRL-sponsored contests. If you don't know your CQ zone, look it up. There's a good resource for this on the CQ Magazine website. You can let Google be your co-pilot on that, or I've got a link to it in the show notes on zone.va7st.ca. Let's take a quick look at antennas for 160 meter contesting. I won't go into too much detail here, but I do have a couple of posts on the va7st.ca website that explore transmit and receiving antennas for 160 meters. Suffice to say, I think it's actually easier to get a signal out on 160 meters than to hear weak stations. You're dealing with prolific atmospheric noise and the inefficiency of small antennas on a band that really needs a lot of wire in the air 
That all combines to me many of the stations that you may want to work are little pistols in the grand scheme of things. You'll hear high-powered stations just fine because their brute force is going to push through the noise. But those pipsqueak stations, they'll be buried under the hiss and the pops and the crackle and hash of band noise unless you can significantly improve the signal-to-noise ratio in your receiver. If I have a tip to share, it's one that experienced top banders and contest operators have known for a century. Use separate transmit and receive antennas if you can. A good low-noise receiving antenna will do more for your score than a high-powered amplifier without tackling band noise and the other local noise sources in your receiver. You can check out the posts on va7st.ca. We've got one on transmit antennas and one on hearing through the noise. At my station, I use an inverted L for transmitting. It's 70 feet tall and it goes out 70 feet from there with four 135-foot-long elevated radials. They're about five feet off the ground. And for receiving, I use a short beverage. That's only 270 or 280 feet long, and it's about five feet off the ground, pointed due east and west. And recently, I've started using a super simple loop on the ground, or log antenna as well. That consists of a wire laid out in a square 15 feet per side, and it's laid directly on the backyard lawn. I feed both the beverage and the loop on ground using 75 ohms RG6 coax. That's TV coax. You can get it anywhere at the big box store, your local surplus shop. It's cheap and abundant. Probably have a few hundred feet of it laying around somewhere in your property now. Now I'll admit that neither antenna at my QTH is perfect. Sometimes my receive-only antennas don't seem to help at all. But at other times, they're the difference between copying a caller and not hearing them at all. A short beverage works, but you really have to experiment with the matching transformer values. In my case, I had to change the windings out on the uh, secondary side of the transformer just to match the impedance of the wire, the beverage wire itself. If you have an antenna analyzer or a nano VNA, which is what I use these days, use it to determine the antenna's impedance, and then you can really configure that matching transformer to suit the antenna impedance specific to your installation. For the beverage antenna, you can measure the impedance between the beverage wire and your grounding rod or your ground point. And for the loop on the ground, you just attach the analyzer or the VNA to the loop's feed terminals, those two terminals at the end of the wires. Knowing what the impedance figure is, you can determine how many turns to wind on your matching transformer. For a really great tutorial, check out VE6WZ's excellent and really helpful video tutorial on using an analyzer to sweep your beverage wire. Again, there's a link to that in the show notes at zone.va7st.ca. It's hard to know ahead of time what conditions will be like for this year's running of the CQ160. Right now, low-band conditions haven't been stellar from this part of the world, but there have been some bright notes. I do hear uh, 160-meter FT8 stations from Japan here in North America's west coast in the pre-dawn hours, so that's a good sign. From the 2020 running of this contest, I noted that Quote, malts were down considerably from last year, and QSOs were mostly northwest regional on Saturday night, with little more southern and eastern states on Sunday night. I can't say the band was unusually noisy, but some signals were pretty weak in there, and fading was pronounced at times. While among the predictors that we often turn to are space weather and geomagnetic indicators. As this is being recorded, we're in the midst of a fairly disruptive auroral event, The Northern Hemispheric Power Index, or HPI, 
is sitting at a whopping 87.5 gigawatts at the moment. That equates to an auroral index of 9.5. That's about as high as it goes. And it makes for a really pretty but a dramatic ovation model on the NOAA Space Weather Prediction Center's website. Big aurora like this will wipe out the polar path for anyone that's living north of the U.S.-Canada border. And it even makes a shot to Europe difficult for folks in California or in the southwest of the U.S. Maybe it'll have subsided by the time this weekend's 160 contest gets going. You never know. Oddly enough, 12 meters or 24.9 megahertz today has been alive with activity, which I wouldn't have predicted during a strong auroral event. And right now the A index is uh, is 12 and it's rising. So you can never tell from the raw numbers just how the bands are going to respond. So what does a typical little pistol station like mine work in this contest? Last year, 2020, was a really poor showing here. Using high power and operating for four and a half hours, I made 130 contacts with 26 states and provinces and one DX country. That was Alaska, which I could hit with a rock from British Columbia. My total score was just short of 17,000 points. Now, my outing two years prior to that was a lot better and a whole lot more fun. Back in 2018, I operated high power for 11 hours, and I ended up with 348 contacts in 50 states and provinces, and I had one additional country than I did last year, for a total of two. Neither of those was Alaska or Hawaii. I ended up with just over 82,000 points in 2018. So, as you can see, every year is different, and you just won't know which way it's going to go, good or bad, until you try it. The big basket of easiest multipliers for this contest are U.S. states and Canadian provinces. So, if you're in North America, you should have a great time in this contest, with even a modest antenna and 100 watts. Those in Europe, on the other hand, will be looking for DXCC and Worked All Europe entities, as crossing the Atlantic or using the polar path will be much more difficult on 160 meters than if this were a high-band contest. The important thing for CQ 160 meter CW is to get on the air and give it a try. Don't be daunted by stations with a lot more power or huge antenna systems. They need you and they want to hear you. So throw out a CQ or respond to one and see what happens. Things are really heating up on the contest calendar. From now to the end of February, there are a ton of fun events, and some of them are the biggest contests of the season. Next time, we'll dive into a couple of the more notable items on the calendar in early February. Uh, That'll include the all-new European Union DX contest. I can hardly wait. That's it for this episode of Zone Zero. Let's go get them. I'll see you out there.